In this series, we will be discussing specific examples of design techniques that can make a positive difference for people living with certain human conditions. The more a designer understands the client and or the community, the more effective and respectful the design will be. Evidence-based design can be an important part of designing for behavioral issues and sometimes it can even help solve them. We recently had an opportunity to sit down with Mary Jo Cooper and talk about a situation in a group home that was not only disturbing to the residents and staff, but also to the neighboring community. Adrian Ehrman and I worked as a part of the inclusive design team on this project. Before we get to that discussion, let me tell you a little bit about our guests and their qualifications. Mary Jo Cooper is the Vice President of Long-Term Support Services at Bay Cove Human Services Incorporated, a multi-service agency focused on disability services throughout the greater Boston area. She is responsible for the residential, day, employment, family, and independent support contracts that include over 50 different programs serving 800 individuals and their families. Mary Jo is involved in several committees and panels on industry standards, trends, and best practices and is on the board of directors of the Massachusetts Trade Association of Developmental Disability Providers. In addition, she has presented at conferences on a variety of topics, including how the built environment can and should be considered an integral part of any treatment philosophy. And today we also have Adrian Ehrman, who works as a principal human factors engineer with Cambridge Consultants in Boston, Massachusetts where she facilitates the design of medical devices and equipment to fit users' needs, capabilities, and limitations. Adrian is a graduate of the first class of the Masters of Design Studies in the Design for Human Health program at the Boston Architectural College. She uses the skills gained in the program to better understand the reciprocal relationship between products and the built environment. Adrian has presented for the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society and Environments for Aging conferences and she's a member of the American Society for Healthcare Engineering and the Center for Health Design. In today's discussion, we are examining how evidence-based design can be used to solve behavioral issues that can arise in a group home. And in this case, how these design changes had an even greater impact than expected. As someone who is just learning about the field of designing for living conditions, I was very impressed with the outcome design had in this situation. See if you agree. Welcome, ladies. Welcome to Inclusive Designers Podcast. Mary Jo, why don't we start with you? Okay. Mary Jo, you were the impetus for this particular project, and you saw the benefits of using designers to solve a problem that you were experiencing within one of your residential homes. Can you speak to a little bit about that? Sure. We had built a home um, in the early like 2005 area and it was built specifically for people that had major medical issues that were coming from nursing homes and uh, needed a lot of medical supports and it was great it worked perfectly well over the years people started to um, age and had regular complications of aging but also uh, there was a lot of dementia in the house so the house um, had four people living in it and what was happening is everybody's dementia presented in a different way, including one woman who was just, she had a lot of terror and would scream quite a bit. And part of her communication was screaming. And it was upsetting to not just the people that lived in the home, but also to the neighbors. So at that point, we really wanted to make sure that people could stay in their own home, but we wanted the home to then work better for them. 
So I started doing some research and looking around and I couldn't quite figure out who the experts were for this um, and was making all kinds of calls and finally wound up talking to some lady in Minnesota, I think, who said, gee, right there in Boston, you've got this design for, for human health program and Dak Kopeck is the director and he is kind of the expert. You should really just call the guy down the street. And that's how I kind of connected. I did not realize that that was the connection. That's fascinating. So so speak a little bit further about the the resident that was vocalizing. And without using names because our particular conversations due to HIPAA laws and we really want to keep people's medical um, information sacred and, and uh, confidential. It's more about the situation, in other words, than the the name. Correct. Right. So speaking to that topic, can you explain a little bit further what the mm-hmm. actual issues were within that modular home? And, and Sure. There were four people living in the home, and this one woman in particular who was doing a lot of vocalizing her bedroom was right off the living room and her windows looked right onto the street. Um, And it was a very active street with a lot of people outside all the time. There was a park, there was all kinds of stuff. And she would, she, she didn't really talk much. She would vocalize to most of her communication kind of in a guttural way. As she got more and more demented, she was these vocalizations were getting much, much louder. Was she sundowning, do you think? Probably. And what is sundowning? Can you explain to Sure. So as people are going through different phases of dementia, um, there are different symptoms that show up. And particularly as light changes, symptoms change. Um, and so sundowning typically is referred to as a time of day when people's symptoms increase. And it can be different for different people, but most often it's late afternoon, early evening. And so at those times, she would be much more vocal and much more agitated. Um, And for some reason, she got a lot of strength behind her vocalization. So she was really loud. Even, Even if she wasn't in terror, even if she wasn't in pain, if she was just communicating, she just, it, her, the way she communicated changed. And it did upset people living with her because it was scary if they didn't know what was happening or, you know, if she was okay. Even if they were looking at her, she couldn't tell them that she was okay or what was happening. And people outside had no idea what was going on. So they were calling the police. They were saying we were abusing her. Other people that lived in the house were abusing her. And that wasn't the case at all. It was just that she was communicating in a very loud way. Being a part of the project, I know that when we got there, um, there were certain design elements from the modular home that were a factor in creating problems within the community and within the the walls of the residence itself, um, and then obviously with the workers. Can you speak to us a little bit about some of the design issues at that point that we then we will talk about later and how we fix those, but maybe you can set up for our listeners a little bit about what the modular home looked like. Sure. So it's a four bed home and it's um, kind of, you go in, it's typical ranch, I guess is what you would say. So you go right in the front door, which is right into the living room. 
and immediately on that first wall as you walk in on the left was the door to a bedroom and in front of you is the kitchen but it's all open you go then around down a hall where there are three other bedrooms and two bathrooms as well as sort of an open area that leads out to a um, a pretty nice deck mm-hmm. that overlooks the park and that's where we had kind of our nurses um, medication area for those of you who are listening you you don't know we are in Boston so or the greater Boston area and as a result so when you open up the door this can be problematic during the winter and the elements then find their way into um, the residential home so the outside was was part of the environment as well because if you open the door there was a ramp um, you open the door and you're right outside and so if it's cold out all that cold air was coming right in if it's raining out the rain can come in um, and on the other side of that in the summer when it's warm and there are lots of kids and people outside we had quite an active neighborhood where everybody could hear everything if the windows are open because they're right there right anything else you want to add to describe the 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 design and maybe the design problems that sure were a contributing factor or maybe perhaps there were design um, issues that were just born out of the particular type of modular home that you guys had sure a couple things one is um, we had built the house so that most of the people could leave the home by bed so that we weren't having to transfer people from bed to wheelchair then out it saves time and because of our funding we need our funding regulations and just common sense you need to get people out within two and a half minutes um, if there's a fire fire, right or some sort of emergency so um, three of the bedrooms actually had two two of those I'm sorry two of the bedrooms have French doors in them where people could then wheel the beds directly out two did not um, but were very close to doors the floors were hardwood mm-hmm. um, which they were lovely right um, but acoustically for vocalization for sundowning and what have you and got are, really slippery and got oh it got slippery yes of course right um, and you know it's a um, a group living environment so that we had three different shifts of staff coming on. Those floors were getting washed three times a day um, because we had all kinds of people walking around and body spills and you know, different things happening. Um, so they were getting washed three times a day, and that's tough on a hardwood floor. The windows were just regular windows. Single pane, so, weren't they? I believe maybe they were. Maybe double pane, right? Yeah. Um, and the because it was a modular home, the, the walls weren't... Um, particularly thick or um, insulated in a way that was anything fancy it was just sort of regular build right um, so those were those are some of the issues that uh, that did kind of play into some of these things also I think the lighting wasn't terrific yeah the one room with the woman who was vocalizing I remember it was particularly dark mm-hmm. and she had a very it wasn't hot pink because that says bright to me, but it bubble was gum. a yeah it was bubble gum pink. It was yeah, but it was like not helping the situation. It was very dim, 
in her room in particular. It I was remember. weird because it was dim, but it was also extremely like bright and powerful. Adrian, maybe mm -hmm. you can talk down. Maybe this is a great way to segment into sort of what we did in terms of research because mm -hmm. that particular room in itself well that was the room for the resident was doing the vocalization and it had some she was right smack dab in the middle of the um, actual residence itself she had this these hot pink walls the room was awesome. Which was her choice. Which I mean, was her was really, choice. Yeah. And we will get into a, into a minute sort of what we did in order to appease her, but yet bring down the, the hotness of mm -hmm. the room. And um, and then again, it was about um, acoustics and, and lighting and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. So, but Adrian, maybe you can take us through a little bit about how we did the research and what we did and, and, and kind of go from there. Sure. So once we heard this project brief from Mary Jo. We set up some time to do site visits at the home and I think we did a few in total across, um, we had a team of three, so across all of us. And although this one resident was vocalizing and it was causing issues in the neighborhood and causing issues with the staff, that became the primary concern, but we can't forget that there are three other people living there and an entire staff that works there. So our first objective was to understand all of the other people, all of the other players in this space um, because they have needs too and we wanted to be sure that we designed according to those needs. So within the three other residents, um, well so this one woman was in, uh, or she was ambulatory, right? And there's another woman who's in a wheelchair um, and then there is a third woman who was probably relative to everyone, had a the most violent uh, dementia behaviors. Mm -hmm. I think there was an incident with um, knives. knives and getting into cabinets with knives that she shouldn't have. Um, there were other issues with hoarding towels um, and kind of hiding stuff within her room. Right. And these are all very indicative behaviors of people, mm -hmm. right, who have some sort of form of dementia. And, exactly. Right. And then there was a fourth resident who was a male um, who... Uh, we wanted to learn about him as well. And so he had, um, was it Down, Down syndrome? syndrome? Yeah. And um, loved the Red Sox. So we went through this whole process of understanding these other people in terms of their personal interests and also their whatever conditions they have and how those conditions manifest. One of the things that we do as designers for Design for Human Health is to look at the biology, psychology, and sociology. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he was a great example of kind of looking at all of that in order to design correctly for yeah. him. Yeah, and also had, he also had the very early stages of dementia mm -hmm. right. showing. Well, yeah, which again, is a good point because right. they were all like along a spectrum, yeah. right? Like they right. all had kind of different symptoms at the same time. So we had to figure out how to balance all of that. And so when we looked at the biological, uh, sociological, and psychological factors, so that was based on the different conditions because, you know, that changes how you interact with the world. It changes how you perceive things. And that's not how we experience the world. So we had to go and do a lot of scientific um, literature searching to understand how each of these conditions manifest in each of those three different ways and then try to pinpoint 
um, where are the commonalities, um, where are the specific things right. that each person needs, because that helped us to identify what does the living room need, what is resident one's room need, different from resident two, so on and so forth. Um, so that helped us really tie our ideas to specific needs. Um, right. And separately with the site visits, we thought it was really important to talk to the staff. And I remember at the end, they were very thankful that we considered them. They, you know, they're very selfless, like caring people and didn't think of themselves as You're being right. residents in yeah. the home, but they are. Mm-hmm. It's 24 hour nursing. Um, all of the residents are dependent on them for all of their activities of daily living, which are things like dressing, bathing, eating, etc. cetera. Um, so we wanted to understand, like, what do you need to do to do your job? Right. What do you need to do to feel safe in this home? Um, you know, do you need to lock up your belongings? Like, what do you do now? Why is it not working? And go through all of the details. So um, we definitely spent a lot of time up front trying to gather all of that information and then sort it out and try to see where those themes and those common points were. Right. Yeah. No, it, it was a great undertaking, and you did most of the research, and I, I took care of the the um, uh, the FF and E's, for those of you that don't know, it's furniture and fixtures and equipment, um, and uh, but it, it was a great collaboration, mm-hmm. I thought, and I would like for you now, Adrian, to kind of speak a little bit about some of the findings that you came up with and and then maybe Adrian you and I can talk a little bit about some of the design elements that we came up with and and then Mary Jo bring it home to tell us how everything's going. Sure so I I think one of the biggest things that we found through the research that we did for individuals with dementia is that you need to facilitate wayfinding a lot more than you would a typical population Um, So there's a lot of research out there about um, case studies where people have wandered out of their homes and wandered off into neighborhoods and kind of get lost because of some issues finding their way back home. So we knew that of these four residents, we needed to help them identify their rooms in a way that was meaningful for them. And so we did that through color. And we... Uh, I think we're kind of inspired by the hot pink walls we and the fact that she the, <laughs> the fact that she picked that color out we thought you know that's important we don't want to take that away from her because right. that's her what she loves that's an right. individual choice and so we decided we would do something special for the other three residents as well and um, but to tone it down a little bit we <laughs> made three of the walls of her room white and then there was one accent wall um, that was pink and that really helped with the dim situation in addition to some lighting and and helping bring some more brightness into the space. Um, To match that on the door, so it was a four or six paneled door, Mm -hmm. just like a very typical door. Um, And the bottom two panels, we actually had suggested to paint a color to match that accent wall. So we're building a little bit of a theme for each resident. You know, that's the pink room, that's the green room, et cetera. And blue, and Mm -hmm. then we also had purple. And then um, we had the sound panels. And the sound panels, mm-hmm. too. We had everything kind of matching for each of the individual residents. But to back to just kind of backtrack a little mm-hmm. bit here, we put the colors at the bottom of those panels on the door. Do you want to speak a little bit about that and why we did that? And even though mm-hmm. the woman that was vocalizing who had the hot pink room, 
she was in a wheelchair so Mm -hmm. but it was still a a way for her to identify her room and knew that she was going into her room and her space right so and that's a good point because even though it was specific to these four residents at the time we knew that the the design elements we put in needed to be adaptable to future residents as as well so it so within that home and other homes so we did um, the two lower panels um, because of it having improved visibility when someone is uh, older and with developmental disabilities they tend to look down more when they walk and so it's kind of akin to having something at eye level. Um, you know, in a museum, for example, you right. want something at eye level. So with this population, because they're more inclined to look downwards when they walk, it's it needs to be follow suit with where their eye level is now right. at. Right. And you know, and 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 to that point, you know, it, it's about the Maso shuffling. So mm-hmm. let's keep moving on with the different types of design mm-hmm. elements that we came up with. So if you could also talk a little bit about acoustics, and or you mm-hmm. and I can talk a little bit about the acoustics, which really, I think, helped quite a bit. Yeah, so in addition to the, each of the, the sound panels in each room, and so each of those sound panels had an image on it. She can make it look like artwork, and so that was individualized for each room. We also had some more generic ones uh, within the living room and elsewhere within the home. And we also uh, suggested putting in three-paneled windows. So the thicker material essentially helps mitigate against any sound that's happening within the home. And to, tell, and to double it up, we also suggested acoustic um, curtains. curtains. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other big things that we found to help with this um, hoarding behavior. So we actually learned that the violent outbursts and the hoarding can have a connection and it's basically due to the fact that someone who has dementia they can't remember where they put things so if they can't see it it's not there someone stole it and I'm gonna go get it and so that is what caused stealing the towels Um, there are also uh, issues with people being able to flush things down the toilet so just trying to hide things um, for themselves and it kind of goes into this paranoia state and so one of the things that we found is that actually some level of open shelving helps mitigate against that because I thought it's that, that was visual. a really important mm-hmm. part that actually worked really well and it's also um, something that I my mom has Alzheimer's and something we did be- with her was to show have these open air kind of um you know closets and and bookcases and stuff like that for her stuff because she kept thinking that it was wandering off and it just right it wasn't and right so if she could see it she knew where it was everything came out from Mm -hmm. all the closets exactly so then it helps the staff have more privacy with their belongings and so it kind of helps feed that need as well right terrific Mary Jo, would you like to speak a little bit about sort of the aftermath of some of the design implications that you put in? I mean, real quick, what what particular designs um, did you actually put in, and then what were the outcomes for these particular elements? So the the outcomes have been terrific. Um, We did do quite a bit. We did put more carpeting in instead of all hardwood, which helped. Um, The nurses didn't want to do all carpeting. Um, because there's some hygienic issues. Mm-hmm. 
but having some carpeting did really help quite a bit. The windows were huge, um, and not just for the sound, but also the insulation and for a whole host, host of reasons. reasons. Right, it, right. You know, our, our heating bill went quite down oh. this year. Um, <laughs> we put an awning over the ramp. Oh, right. That, yeah. you know, really helps with people coming in and out so that they're when they get off the van or wherever they're coming from, work or day program, um, they're, they're not out in the rain or the snow. And so when they come in, it's the transition is much easier. It's a, you know, it's a nicer transition and you're not getting all the elements on the floor as you walk in or as you wheel in. Right. Uh, we did, like Adrian said, the colors have been terrific. Uh, we've done quite a bit with the open shelving and op- more open concept, but also, and I think Adrian kind of circled this a little bit, the real person-centered planning, like really investing in what's important to that person, what makes what makes it home for them, and building on that so that each room then had a very different feel. Right. So the one lady who was very... Um, anxious and agitated and was worried that people were stealing her stuff she's also from the south she's she was quite a lady like a church lady right um she had a lot of hats, a lot of hats, hats and <laughs> gloves and she was very fancy um but that really spoke to her and so and her sound panel was very particular it was, it was you know flowers in a field that was very comforting to her because that's what she grew up with right it was familiar it was southern right. looking right whereas the gentleman who liked the red Sox, mm-hmm. his sound panel was the green monster right and he got the biggest kick out of that right um so those those elements that made it theirs were right. really important and, and do, it did impact people's behavior you know, can you speak a little bit more to that? I mean, I know that the woman that was doing the vocalization, most of the vocalization had stopped. I mean, that in itself mm-hmm. is pretty huge. And, well, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you speak a little bit to to that and, and uh, how, sure. I think how the was, community react? Well, it got to be circular because she would get agitated or she would start vocalizing. And then other people in the home didn't quite understand what was happening because they were in their own kind of dementia path um, and couldn't remember from day to day necessarily or vocalization to vocalization that, that she actually was okay. Right. She's been doing this every day. Right. right. Groundhog day. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> um, so they would get more agitated, which would right. get her more agitated. Yeah. And so once we were able to kind of intervene in some of that and people were able to sleep better because they weren't hearing as much vocalization because the mm-hmm. You know the the sound panels, the flooring, all those different things happened, and, and actually having some better lighting, right? That was able to we were able to kind of track some of the sundowning behaviors when it would start, and so we couldn't stop the dementia, but we could certainly work with it right. in a different way, and that I think was was what happened. And I think you told me that afterwards that you had a barbecue with your neighbors. We did. I yeah. thought that was just amazing. Yeah, and actually, the because neighbors... they went from calling the police to now having a barbecue, right? right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. no, the neighbors have been actually really lovely um, because we were pretty open about what we were doing um, and what was happening in the home. Mm-hmm. Because people were terrified initially when we said we were going to, you know, be putting a group home there. People automatically assume it's going to be, you know, a danger to the neighborhood, and in fact, it wasn't. But when there's a lot of screaming and there's a lot of, it, it does 
raised some concerns. Um, right. Which goes and, back to the, almost the sociology of the particular right. space and, and, you know, and, and a lot of the neighbors, you know, like you said, they have their misconceptions mm-hmm. and their misconceptions were actually by default becoming truthful in their in their head yeah, because just, there was people mm-hmm. screaming but at the end of the day it wasn't anything like that it we wasn't were, like that right and we were able to do a little bit of education and invite people in invite the neighbors in to see what was happening and how things were going and and now the neighbors are are big supporters and actually will come and talk to our staff about gee my aunt seems to be not kind of how she was what do you know well, about this and can and well, so it's actually been a nice way to do that. some of that stuff we have had people um, have since died, and other people have moved in, and we've re, you know, kind of done the person-centered stuff so that mm-hmm. their room is their room. It's no longer for the person it was initially, but it's worked Made out lovely. Worked yeah, out. and so we've changed out the sound panels, or we've changed mm-hmm. the colors, but it's still, it, it still works really nicely. It's very impressive. It, it really made a difference. I, I love this story and, and its ending and how it can be used for others as well. Yeah, I think that's a thing I would like to pass on to other designers is to be sure that you tell the full story, that it doesn't just stop at the design that you've suggested. You need to understand like how did things change in a measurable way after you implemented the design. Um, you know, that was hard for me in terms of finding research going in. like okay, I have an idea of what the problem is and an idea for how to fix it. How do I know it will be effective? And it's really hard to make that determination without some kind of data to follow data up. So to follow up. it's really that's an important great that you've part. been able to provide some feedback like and one that. One thing I would certainly add in is one of the things Adrian did that was so important was that she read all of our regulations because right. we are publicly funded. Great We point. have to live by certain right. things. Um, and and it does impact design. And so part of what Adrian did was so important because it she tied the regulatory stuff in with the medical and design pieces and, and the you know the biology, mm-hmm. the sociology and the psychology kind of all needed to fit together in terms of mission and mm-hmm. mission um, and regulations. Yeah. Well, this is a great place to to end ladies. Thank you so much for for stopping by today at inclusive designers and um, hopefully I'll have you guys on again. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. If you have any questions or have suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email, info at inclusivedesigners.com. For more information on design and research we cover, please check out our webpage at inclusivedesigners.com. And in case you didn't get it, that's inclusivedesigners.com. We hope you enjoy our Inclusive Designers podcast forum. And we look forward to your feedback, too. Yes, we do. Thanks again for listening. Until our next podcast episode, stay well and stay well-informed. Thanks for listening. Yes, thanks again. Thanks again.